0: Good morning. It's good to be with you again today as we study God's word together. I was struck this morning as we were singing, we sang a lot of great songs of praise, that prayer of hear your bride Lord and we say come. I hope that was part of your prayer today that you would ask Lord right now to come, the Spirit of God to come and, and unite our hearts together as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what He's trying to teach us through Luke's gospel. One of the themes of Luke that he repeats again and again and emphasizes, maybe more than any other of the gospel writers, is discipleship. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. Someone who's following and a disciple of Christ is to be taking steps to mature in what you believe about Jesus, to know him better, and then to up or increase your dependence and your commitment to him. To know him better so you can follow him better as a committed disciple, lover of Jesus Christ. We know that jesus is going to jerusalem why is he going there he's going there to die for the world's sins to make a covering to make a propitiation a satisfaction or an atonement a covering for the world's sins so that by believing in him we can have eternal life jesus is fulfilling or completing his mission he's on task he's delivering people from demons He's teaching them the truth of eternal life. He's healing sickness. That's why he came to give us, to bring God's kingdom. And we read last week, we studied last week, that Jesus was sending out more disciples to speak about this kingdom and his salvation. So what was last week's message? You all remember, right? Go. (laughs) Go with urgency. Live and speak with integrity the truth of God. It might be dangerous. We're sending you out as sheep among wolves. But Jesus says, go anyway. Go with the words I give you. Go with my power. Go with my authority. And we have the promise, now that he's gone to heaven, that he'll be with us as we go. To Villanova, yeah. To school. To work. To home, to the grocery store, wherever we go. Go with urgency. People need to hear the truth about God's kingdom. They need to have that hope. So go with urgency. And today we're going to be talking about go be a neighbor and show God's mercy. By the way, um, as Dennis was reading This very familiar passage of scripture, we call it the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It could be the parable, as Leslie told me this morning, of the bad priest (laughs) or the bad Levite or the parable about us. Jesus is doing more than correcting the lawyer. He's instructing his disciples, the crowds, Of what it means to live for him in the world what does God want us to do this is really if you take a peek ahead the first of three lessons about relationships disciples how do you relate to your neighbor to other people in the world this is a lesson about what God expects as if you look ahead next week we're going to be talking about how we relate to Jesus the story of Mary and Martha And then after that there's a relationship with God the Father through prayer beginning in chapter 11 so this is kind of like a discipleship basic (laughs) how to be a good neighbor how to be doing God's will so let's take a look at this story together today first of all eternity's reality demands our attention let me just read the first three verses again verse 25 and behold The great commandment, it's known as, in the kingdom were part of Jewish culture and life discussions. Uh, That's still true in a lot of Jewish and Christian cultures as well. What's the great commandment? How do we to relate? But there's also great misunderstanding about how God's grace and forgiveness and good works fit together to bring eternal life. Look at verse 25, and behold, so Luke is giving us a word here. It's like, take note, (laughs) listen up. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Apparently, Jesus had been teaching, and when in in that culture, you sat when you taught. So we would be doing the opposite. I would be sitting, you might be standing. How would you like that for 35 minutes? No, that wouldn't work. Apparently, Jesus had been teaching. The lawyer stood up to ask his question, and, and Luke, through the Spirit of God, gives us some insight and says, "To what was his motivation to ask this question? Well, it says to put Jesus to the test. What was his motivation? Was he trying to discredit Jesus, make Jesus stumble over the question so that he could uh, embarrass Jesus, discredit Jesus? That's a strong possibility. But there's also... might he might have just been testing Jesus to see if Jesus fit into his theology rather than the opposite he was just trying you know can I be Jesus's friend or not well let me ask this question we'll see what Jesus says see if he gives the right answer J.C. Ryle preacher from the 19th century late 1800s in England writes in his commentary on this, don't ignore the question, how can I inherit eternal life? Every generation needs to ask that question of itself. We fall short of keeping human law. None of you broke the speed limit on the way to church today, did you? <laughs> we break human laws all the time. Think about how often we break God's commandments. We fall so short. How can we possibly think we can inherit eternal life? Few take time to find the answer to this most important question for life. How can I inherit eternal life? Hey, we're always asking questions. You have teenagers in the house? What's the one, a key question they're always asking? What's to eat? <laughs> What's to drink? How can I make more money? How can I enjoy life more? Are there any good movies showing? Who are the Eagles playing next week? Where should I invest my money for retirement? We're always asking questions, and some of them are very important. Uh, What's the weather for today? Sometimes that's an important question to ask. It, It changes how you dress. But don't ever ignore the most important question in life. How can I be sure to have eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? Ask the question. Pursue the answer. Live with eternity in mind. And make sure your friends and other people that you know and care about, and maybe some people you don't care about too much, but confront them with the question or bring up the conversation to talk about eternity. God's word does answer the question, how do I gain eternal life? Do you know the answer? Can you explain it? To someone else Jesus turned this lawyer's heart to God's word where in God's word does it tell us how to live in God's kingdom and by the way if you have an inclination toward teaching and even if you don't know what Jesus does this is a teaching technique he asked the lawyer to answer his own question well how do you read it how do you see it you're asking me the question but I want to know what you're thinking You tell me what you're thinking." So he turned the lawyer's attention to God's word, and he asked him to think about his own question. Do you know where these verses are found? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's in Deuteronomy chapter six, by the way, verses four through six. It's known as the Shema, which just is a Hebrew word that means listen or hear. And that's how it begins to read. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it reads like this, Hear, O Israel, listen up. The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself is found in Leviticus chapter 19. It's really on a whole section, verses 9 through 18, about how to take care of your neighbor, I won't take time to look at it today, but you look at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. There's a whole list of ways to love your neighbor as yourself. That God gave commandments to the Israelites. So Jesus's words create tension. Do you want eternal life? And we answer how. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if anyone would answer no. Maybe there's people out there that would, but most people answer yes. And, and, and Jesus commends this lawyer for giving the right answer. The Greek word there is where we get our English word orthodox from, which means right doctrine, good teaching. This is correct. You have answered correctly, Jesus says. So do this command and you will live. after all said and done a lot more said than done we can't measure up what was the lawyer's mistake well we pick up in verse 29 he answered correctly and Jesus said you've answered correctly love God love your neighbor you've answered correctly do this and you will live but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus and who is my neighbor Justifying ourselves is impossible. Don't do what the lawyer did. His mistake is my mistake, your mistake. We try to justify ourselves. By asking, who is my neighbor? The lawyer was trying to narrow the definition of who his neighbor was. This was his only chance, his only shot. He was thinking in his mind, well, if I narrow who my neighbor is, maybe then I've kept the commandment. Maybe I've kept the commandment. Jesus' story, we know this, we're familiar with the story, shows him how far short we fall in loving God and loving our neighbor. If we don't love people, it shows we really don't love God. It says that in other places in the scripture. Kingdom citizenship is impossible if we're trying to depend on ourselves to earn it. So who is my neighbor? We love to put limits on it. We're in the book of Luke. Just turn back a few chapters to chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. Take a look there. Jesus is is talking to um, the Pharisees who were kind of after him. And he was condemning them. Verse 32 of Luke 6, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful. So here this lawyer kind of like we do we narrow the field. So we hope to justify ourselves. And Jesus is pointing out in Luke six. And again, in this story of the good Samaritan, that we really don't love the way God loves or merciful the way God is merciful. Imagine standing before God this morning. You're being judged. You're in his presence. And you say, you know, I've loved you, God, with all my heart and with all my soul and all my strength and with all my mind. And I've loved my neighbor as I've loved myself. How would we do? we can't we can't justify ourselves in God's presence but you know who does justify us God does right you know that answer Romans chapter 3 kind of sums it up for us verse 3 for all have sinned we've fallen short of the glory of God we failed to love God we failed to love our neighbors and we're but we're justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation big word that just means for the satisfaction of of sin's debt, by his blood to be received received by faith. It's just believing that gets us on that road to loving God, enabling us to begin to pursue God because of the new life that he gives us. Verse 27 goes on in, in Romans 3, then what becomes our boasting? It's excluded By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified, but that one, excuse me, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So it begins by believing. And then the good works that we do show that we love God. And we know we received his mercy. It's a work of God. He enables us by the new life he gives us to begin to be merciful the way he's merciful to us. Who's my neighbor? Our sinful natures love to limit the answer, but God's saving grace begins to expand the borders, breaks down the fences that I put up of who my neighbor is so that I love people the way God has loved me. Let's continue on with the story. In verses 30 through 36, we see neighbors and mercy questions are answered. Now, I wanted to point out that 1 John chapter 3 kind of fleshes out the story of the Good Samaritan. Listen, it's up on the screen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So that truth that Jesus is teaching in the Good Samaritan about being merciful is John teaches in his first letter. Who deserves our mercy? (laughs) This parable is about how we neglect loving mercy. Who deserves God's mercy? Ask that question. Who deserves God's mercy? No one really does, except that God is gracious and good. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us as a gift. And when we think about that, so who deserves my mercy? It should expand the borders, my limitations. Well, if God is merciful to the just and the unjust, it rains on them all, then how can I withhold mercy? When God does not we all have prejudices against people that we have little desire to be gracious to who came to your mind who is that person or persons a group of people that you really won't go out of your way to be merciful to if this person was there you'd be glad to be merciful to them but if that person's uh, not so fast right why is that because we are sinful and selfish and prejudiced let's not deny it i dare you to ask god the spirit to reveal who those people are if you're not aware of them already to be honest about it to ask the lord to help you expand the borders of your mercy I have up on the screen Psalm 103. Just go there often when you're feeling like you failed to be merciful and remind yourself how merciful God's been to you. Listen to these verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. (laughs) Review it again and again, and remember who we are and how good God has been to you and me in his forgiveness. So Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan, This road was known as a dangerous, as a dangerous place for travels. It had locks of rocks and caves so robbers could hide there. And, and in that time period, it was a famous place for robberies to happen. It was a dangerous neighborhood. Both the priest and the Levite had temple duties. They served in the Lord's temple. And there were rules about touching, unclean people or half-dead people, that if you did that, you couldn't serve in God's temple until you went through ritual cleansing but we notice that they're on the way down from Jerusalem. They're going to Jericho, so I tell you what, their temple duties were over, so they couldn't use that as an excuse. Oh, I'm a priest, if I I help this guy, I've gotta go through cleansing and I won't be able to do my priestly duty. That had nothing to do with it. They were going away from the temple, their duties were done. So, there wasn't any issue of becoming ceremonially unclean. It was just an inconvenience. And it would be the same for any Jewish person if they helped that person. They would have to do some ceremonial un- uh, processes if this person was dead. I go back to 1 John chapter 3. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him. And that's what exactly happened here. The priest and the Levite saw the need, but their heart was hard. They were closed to helping this man. Be aware and be honest and lose our prideful attitudes and see how far short we come to loving God by not loving our neighbor and Jesus is telling this story to draw his audience in and he draws us in who would come by next that that is coming up in our mind will they do anything different what would I do if if that was me ever notice how Jesus likes to God likes to do things in threes a lot of times you know The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Here's another trio of of things. There's a lot of those in scripture. What would the Jewish audience be thinking? Uh, We can only guess, but it seems Jesus was leaning toward an anti-pastor, church leader, clerical people, right? Like It seemed like he was kind of angry at them because they were passing by. Maybe the Jewish audience would be thinking, well, maybe it would be like a normal Jewish man, or a normal Jewish woman, or maybe a, a Jewish child, or maybe they would be thinking maybe one of Jesus' disciples would be the next one who would come by, and they would do the right thing. So when Jesus said the word Samaritan, and if you're familiar, Jews and Samaritans kind of had a hate relationship. Neither of the parties, groups of people liked each other, so that would have been like devastating to that jewish audience that would have been like i can't believe why didn't jesus use a nice jewish person why did he have to pick a samaritan couldn't he pick a better good guy if you're familiar with the book of habakkuk he asked the same question. A prophet asked God, you know, God was going to use the Babylonians to to correct the Israelites, to to correct Judah. And Habakkuk's like, this has got to be a mistake, God. I mean, they're such wicked people. Can't you use somebody better, like a little less unrighteous than them? Jesus, why Samaritan? Why not one of God's people, a nice Israelite to be the hero? Have a question for you. If Jesus were telling this story in Havertown 2023, who do you think might be the surprise hero in your mind? What do you think? Take a minute and talk to a neighbor if you're comfortable doing that. Like, who do you think might be a surprise hero in this story if jesus was telling it like in an updated version in havertown in 2023 go ahead what do you think who would be a surprise hero in your mind just tell your neighbor I see that. Everybody's pointing at somebody else. You'd be the surprise hero. yeah. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. I won't ask you to shout it out. Note the extent of the Samaritan's sacrifice. The Levite and the priest went by on the other side. But what did he do? He went to him there's a whole sermon there he went to him to help him he was going but he stopped to be merciful his oil and his wine was used for treatment he put him on his animal he walked he took care of him at the end at two days wages and said I'll pay more if it costs more when I come back. It's a picture of someone going the extra mile. That's all. It's just going the extra mile. It's Philippians 2, what Jesus did for you and me. Familiar passage to many of us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves look each of you look not only to your owners but also to the interest of others have this in mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus see if you're a believer in Christ this morning if you're a follower of his then you have the mind of Christ and his mind Thinks differently than your natural mind, your selfish human mind until after he saved you, he gave you his mind. And his mind says to what? To be compassionate and merciful to even to my enemies. We have the mind of Christ. So what do we do? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he served others. Consider all God has done for you. And how far short I come to loving God the way he loves me. How far short we come to loving one another or our friends or our enemies the way God loves us. And our prayer should be, Lord, change us, save us from ourselves. Change our hearts, oh God, so we're more like you. So God gives an answer. Look at verses 36 and 37. After Jesus finishes the story, and the next day took two denarii, the Samaritan did take care of him whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back which of these three Jesus asked do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers well Jesus again teaching technique asked the question so the man is answering it himself it was an obvious answer the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him you go and do likewise You know Jesus actually changes the question it's not who's my neighbor but am I being a neighbor that's the question we need to concern ourselves with not who is my neighbor what's the answer to that everyone I see that has a need that that I can have an answer to or I have the moment and the, the wherewithal to help So that's an obvious truth that's just there. Everyone's my neighbor that I come in contact with along the way in some form or fashion. But the question is, am I being a neighbor? Lord, we need eyes and ears and a growing heart of compassion. That's what I need. And I need it from God, because I can't bring it up from within myself to love people the way I love myself. The priest and the Levite, they saw, they heard, they knew the truth, what they should do, but it didn't change what they did because their hearts were hard. It showed the truth of who we are when we don't respond. It matters what we do with what we see and with what we hear. Only the Samaritan, yeah, the Samaritan, the one who didn't maybe believe exactly right, but he had the heart of compassion. He actually was loving God. Are you a part of Jesus's family? What do Jesus's family members do? Well, Jesus in Luke 8 answered the question, who are my mother and my brothers? The ones who hear God's word and do what? And do it. Who believe that what I say is true, believe that I'm the one. Love for Jesus is proven in how we relate to people, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need but yet closes his heart against him, not you. Everyone but you. How does God's love abide in him? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If inheriting eternal life was up to our obedience, up to our kindness, (laughs) no one on earth would ever receive eternal life. But Jesus came to make a way for us to have eternal life. In John chapter one, the apostle John makes clear how we can have eternal life. Speaking of Jesus, he says the word of God. Believe on the Christ, God the Son, the Savior. Receive eternal life, and then go be a neighbor. It's not who is my neighbor, but am I be, being a good neighbor? Last week, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and tell about God's kingdom salvation that comes through belief in me. This week, Jesus is commanding us to go and be a neighbor. Go and show mercy the way God has shown mercy to you. Go and show mercy like the Samaritan. Let's pray. Lord God, change our hearts so we see and hear and love the more and more the way you love us with unending compassion and patience. Lord, we need your power to help us to do this. Holy Spirit, so move in our eyes and our ears and our minds to see, to trust you, to obey you, to love the way you love us. Make us good neighbors. Lord, we know it's only possible by believing in you, by you giving us new life and hope. So do that work in your church for your honor and glory, even as we serve you this week, wherever we are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.